The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio is speaking. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Acts, um, kind of a survey. Some areas we get in deeper, some areas we kind of we kind of cruise over and we'll come back to. But this kind of early church formation and what that looks like for us as a as an early church formation. And this lighting, I'm definitely in glasses mode. Like I wear glasses and I'm supposed to, but like a lot of times I just I don't. But this lighting, I'm I'm deep in the glasses now. So last week I got got up here, I'm like I can't see anything. So um, I'm doing glasses. Um, but. The early church is, is, is born, and it's, it's figuring itself out, and, and, and Jesus is, is, is leading it, obviously, kind of through his apostles and through Sp- the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus can be, as he leads us, it's not like he doesn't just pave the way and makes it real easy. It's sort of a, it can be a little bit windy, it can be a little bit of a bumpy road that he's always just along with. And so, um, and so we kind of get this next turn, this story for this early church who's, who's sort of has been born very it's revival very quickly. People are jumping on. They're loving the idea of it. They're loving the authenticity of it. They're loving God's moving. They're loving caring for orphans and widows. They're 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 just loving this freedom. Um, but we're, get, we're beginning to see that the the institution of the church that was Israel, the temple, uh, is 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 more and more disliking this movement. And and soon to follow will be Rome. Um, but if you remember a, a few weeks ago, we talked about this first issue that came up where a certain group of the new church wasn't being cared for. There was this classism situation from Jews that came from far off with the Jews that were nearby. And they said, we gotta, we got to take care of everybody. They found the widows are being overlooked from this certain group and this certain far-off group. And they said, we got to take care of that. So they appointed these guys to take care of the widows. And, and, and this one of the guys who was appointed was the name Stephen. And this is Stephen's story. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. And he had started kind of this waiting table. He was just carrying caring for widows, uh, signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue came, and they were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying, the lying witnesses says, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became bright as an angel. So Stephen is, is just moving by the Spirit. He's just speaking truth and he's loving on people. And the temple religious system is like, it's starting to, to get to their level where this was just maybe an innocent movement while well, we kill Jesus, eventually it's going to die off. And now it's like, wow, it's not dying off. It's, it's growing. What are we going to do about this? Because the Roman guys didn't really care. And so they, they create these lies uh, against Stephen, which will come to find out were actually kind of what he was saying. The high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? And this was Stephen's, Stephen's reply. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. And what happens over the, the rest of the chapter, it's like 50 verses. We're not going to get all the way into it today, but I encourage you to check it out on your own time because he gives this panoramic view of the entire Old Testament. And ultimately he arrives at this, that whole story of the Old Testament that the religious law was so about and was kind of hanging on to to stand against Jesus. He's like, it was all about Jesus. This whole thing was about Jesus. All these practices were, were about Jesus from the beginning. It's the same God. You guys were just missing it. And, this, and so Stephen, he, he, he tells this, this story in kind of a new way to a group who, who would know, know what he was talking about. It, wasn't like, it was not new information for them. 
They knew it well. They knew it probably better than anyone else. But in a contrast, they kind of contrast how God is versus how they were living, how they were practicing God. And he starts with Abraham. He says, Abraham, he talks about the land. He said, Revelation did not depend on the promised land. Don't worry about the land. Don't get so caught up on the land. God got to Abraham out in the, out in the middle of Mesopotamia. He wasn't in the promised land at all. You guys have made so much this big point of the land. He's like, God is outside the land. And the nation of Israel, the Jewish people were like, man, it has to be about the land. That's where God is. God's in this land. Like, he's like, Don't, you're missing the point. Right? And this thread kind of runs through that God, I think there's a slide for this. God is this pilgrim. He's a pilgrim God. He's anywhere. And the people of that day, the religious people of that day, did not like to hear about that. I mean, that, 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 that freaked them out. He talks about Joseph, and he said, Joseph, God was with Joseph, Joseph. God spoke to Joseph as he was going along through his story of exile and, and, and being in slavery in Egypt. If you know the story of Joseph, it's a gnarly story, but it always says that God was with him. God was with him wherever he went. And Stephen says, you guys have tried to capture God in a box. God is everywhere. God moves. He's with the people where they're at. He talked about Moses. You guys talk all about Moses. You love Moses, but... You rejected Moses. Israel stood up, stood up against Moses. They built a calf. They, they grumbled and complained about Moses. And so just as you rejected Moses, you, you rejected Jesus. Stephen talks about Solomon. He built this amazing temple because if we just had this amazing temple, then everything would be fine. But in the story of Israel, it's not fine. They reject God anyway. They rejected God anyway. Well, God, if we could just get our, our city and our temple back, we'll love God. And like you just see through Kings and Chronicles, like they just continue to turn against God anyway. And the end of this talk, he says, you stiff-necked people. And stiff-necked people is, is a phrase used throughout the Old Testament, almost 20 times in the Old Testament. God calls Israel stiff-necked, and, and it's not a good thing. These religious leaders were acting just like their forefathers acted, and Stephen is just calling them out. He says, listen, he says, I believe in God. He's like, you guys actually don't. And Stephen's full of the Spirit, and he's innocent. He's like, I get Moses. You guys don't get Moses. I believe in the law. You break the law all the time. I believe in the temple. You have, you have, you believe in the temple. It, it wouldn't have been destroyed. You've, you've kind of messed up the system. It's like now you're on your third temple. You talked about all the buildings of the temple and, they, and the temple's being demolished and destroyed. Then they build it again. And like, he's like, guess what's not working for you? God's, God's over the temple. He doesn't even need the temple. God has to keep wiping it out to stop you guys from getting so hung up on the temple. And so he turns the table on them in, 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 in this story. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And there's this agitation forming against this, this council of people, this re, these religious leaders. And there's like steam coming out of their ears. And they're just starting to freak, freak out. They're just starting to freak out on him. And, and, and toward the end of his talk, when he, he kind of calls them out, these stiff-necked people, which would be, they would know exactly what he's talking about. He says, you won't bow to God. And secondly, basically, your religion is only external. Right? And, he's, and he's, he's saying to these guys, Knowing religion, because these guys knew religion well, and this is, this is good for us today, knowing religion is different than knowing God. Knowing the religion is different than knowing the God. And these guys knew all kind of stuff. They knew it front and back, and they knew the story, and they knew the, where the temples were and where the borders should be on the land. They knew the practices, and they had laws upon laws upon laws, but they did not know God. They just filled it up with so much stuff, and Stephen just calls them out. Knowing the religion is different than knowing the God. And we can fall victim of that so easily even still today. We can go through sort of the stuff and the motions. I get it, I get it, I know how it works. I, I know this verse. I know how we, I get to this gathering. I go to this song. But like, do you know the God? Stephen's like, you guys have missed, you're missing the God. I've had an opportunity in the past like few years. I've kind of 
say go back three or four years ago, kind of musing on this idea of like rock climbing. I always loved the idea of it. it seemed really fun. It looks cool. It just seems like one of those classic sports. I watch documentaries of guys climbing in the 70s in California and, and Yosemite, and I you know, follow guys on Instagram. I've looked at some magazines. I've got the stuff. I've been to the climbing gym. And like Over the past few years, I've kind of built up this sort of idea of, of climbing. And I have a friend who's, who's invited me a number of times, like, hey, man, let's go climbing, let's go climbing. Um, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And, like, it just never quite worked out. And, like, finally, like, I just got to do this thing because I'm pretending like I'm a climber, but I've never actually been climbing. And so I'm like, I'm just going to say yes, I'm going to do it. And I finally, like, bought this stuff. There's plenty of excuses why I didn't go before. And, and you, have to, you know, I didn't have the shoes, didn't have this, I didn't have the time. And didn't have the belts and all the, all the gear you need, the ropes. And, and I finally like, I had enough stuff. And, like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going climbing I'm going climbing today, like real climbing. And I've probably done some bouldering and some little safes up, but like, let's, let's go do this. Let's go do this thing. And Alex is there. This is like a couple years ago or something. And, and we're going up, way up to 33 and, and uh, with, a, with a couple friends. I've got my stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm so excited. We're actually going to do this thing. And we pull off. I'm like looking on the side of the road. He's like, yeah, some guys climb there. Some guys climb there. And we pull over this one point. And I'm like thinking like, where are we going to go? Because all I see is like this sheer 300-foot cliff. And I'm like, we're not going up that thing today. Like, I can't do that. And sure enough, like, he's like, yeah, we're going, we're going to climb that. And then from, from, like, the road, I'm like, I don't see any possible way to do this thing. And so we get to the, get to the wall, and we start putting on our stuff, and he kind of goes ahead and, like, and he's like, all right, you go. I'm like, what do you mean I go? What do you do? Like, how did you get up there, you know? If you've ever been in these situations, it's, 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 it's interestingly scary. Even when you're low to the ground, my hands are sweating. My hands are kind of sweating now. I'm thinking about some of these things. And they got the chalk bag, the chalk bag, and all this stuff. And I just started to start going up this thing like one step at a time. And I probably get half halfway up this 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 face, and I'm like, I just wanted my mom. I'm like, I want my mom right now. Can I can I get my mom out here because I don't know how to get down. I don't want to go any higher. Like I was just freaked out. It was just really hard. But you know what? It was really different to climb the wall than to follow the guys who climbed the wall on Instagram. Way different. Like who would have thought? But when we, when we but when we do these things, sometimes we think we're doing it. But we're not doing it. It's different. You can think you're in relationship with God because you kind of check these boxes, but sometimes there's a gut check. Are you really in it? Is, is there sort of that feeling? Is it is a spirit in you? Is there sort of this exhilaration? Like, oh my gosh, I'm in relationship with the creator of the universe. It's different. And I know we kind of have highs and lows, but it's, a, it's an honest gut check for us. And even for me, as I go through the motions sometimes of like, oh, we have this church and I kind of know how to do that. Like, Am I dependent on the Spirit as, as we kind of lead this thing and, and, and do life with you guys? Am I like hanging on to God? Or is it like, well, I read the book on that so I can do it. And it's, it's just way different. It's way different to get out and do it. And it can be scary. Right? Knowing the stuff about climbing, having the stuff is different than climbing. My, book, my, my bookshelves are, are full of books. I love books. Right? I'm, a book, I'm a book hoarder. I have books on everything. But having the book is different than actually reading the book. Anyone have books they don't read? But you buy the book, and like, oh, I basically get it. I basically read the book because I have it. Like, right? Like, it, it made it to, like, my bookshelf, and I have it by my bed. Like, I basically read the book. But then if we read a book, if you even go so far as to read a book, you just feel like, oh, I've, I've done that. I get that now. But, like, reading the book is different than doing what the book says to do. But we just kind of check these things off. And Stephen is accusing the high court of the temple of the, of the religion of the nation of Israel, saying, you guys... You guys think you know God because you've read the book. You have no idea. You have no idea. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? 
They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. In the Bible, when Jesus talks about gnashing of the teeth, it's not a good thing. It tends to reference a really bad place. And these guys would have, would have kind of picked up on that innuendo. Stephen, the Christian people, and Jesus himself can be kind of snarky and sarcastic. The prophets were that way. The New Testament prophets are kind of that way. They, they kind of send these jabs at the guys. And you don't always notice it, but when they hear these things, it's like a really, it's a big-time slight. You gnash, you gnash your teeth at them. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing right at the hand of God, the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. These guys are all proud because they killed Jesus and tried to squash this movement. Stephen's standing there and is like, oh, man, I see Jesus right now. He's fine. He's up there hanging out. And whenever we talk about Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, Right? He's standing at the right hand of the Father. Like, he's just looking down at Stephen. He's like, he, he's like doing a slow clap for Stephen. Like, there you go. Let's do this, right? He's standing up, and, and Stephen's like, has this kind of moment. And we don't know if that was a vision or what opened up. That's not for us to sort of have to figure out. But there's this moment for Stephen, this impression that Jesus is on his feet, and he is alive and well, and he's with God. And, 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 and the Sanhedrin will be looking at him like, this is the ultimate blasphemy. And at this, they cover their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. Like, they just couldn't even handle any more. And in the Greek, this rushing, this rushed word is this kind of this chaotic rush, as, as if like a stampede of, of pigs. If you know the story where Jesus cast the pigs off the cliff, it's the same word that just sort of this, this insane rage taken over by something they can't even control. And they go after Stephen. And they drag him out of the city, and they begin to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the, at the feet of a young man named Saul. Uh, this stoning, just real quick, the stoning situation was, was, was common in, in Old, Testament, uh, Old Testament world and New Testament world, and even today some people still do it. It's a horrible practice, a horrible, horrible practice. It's very torturous. Um, basically what would happen is they'd get him out, and they, 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 they said the man would go into a pit two sizes above his head, so they'd throw him into a pit of stones. And there was this sort of protocol that would happen where the guy who was bringing the main accusation would throw the first stone and then, you know, if he didn't fall as he was pushed into this pit, and then if he didn't fall on the first stone, uh, someone would come and they'd bring like a really big stone, just drop it on his chest. And there's this whole sort of process. If he didn't die then, then everyone got to pitch in and start throwing rocks at this, this person. So it was a very, very horrible way um, to die and to be tortured. And so Stephen's kind of, they pull him out, and he could, they probably threw him into this sort of pit, and they're... And they would have stripped him down. They threw him into this pit, and they just start this process of, of throwing stones at him. And they, they're all stoning him. So you could almost kind of see they're all like, we're not letting him get away with dying. We're just going to all throw stones at him. And the witnesses lay their feet at a young man named Saul, which would, would be Paul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he said this, he fell asleep. And so the writer kind of conveys this kind of beautiful way that he, he slips away, but this, this, this idea that Stephen would have this grace for this people in the midst of this persecution uh, is the very sort of essence of who Jesus was and what he wants from us. And he looked up, he sees Jesus, and he's, he's just being beat down. He says, God, forgive them. And the fires of persecution, I was just reading about some martyrs this week. The fires of persecution, they, they don't create martyrs, they reveal them. 
So when things come up, that doesn't make him all of a sudden like, oh, he was smart. It revealed who these people were deep on the inside. And you don't know sometimes really who you are until you go through something. You don't know who you are until you actually have to go through some hard times. You have to struggle with something. You have to go through loss, depression, whatever the challenges are. You don't really know who you are. When things are good, you, don't have no, you really don't have any idea. When things get hard, it begins to reveal who you are. Like I said, we were hanging out at, at the Thompsons last night, and uh, Roger has this like, really cool mini skate park in his backyard, and the kids were skating it. And I like to think, like I do rock climbing, that I can still skateboard. And uh, watching the kids go, and they held this contest, and I hated one of the contests. Good job. And, and um, they had this whole contest, and Josh, you know, Josh was there too. And I asked Josh, hey, did you ride the ramp? He's like, yeah, I went, I went earlier. I bailed pretty hard. I'm like, okay, like, maybe I shouldn't go. So I, I refrained from the whole contest thing. But after they were done, and like when no one was around, I'm like, let me get out there and, and, and try to ride the ramps. You know, and I go out and kind of skate. I'm like, okay, okay. And like, and man, it did not go well for me. And my wife, of course, comes out and he has, she has to like film the whole thing, you know. And I'm just like, what is happening? I'm like, I think I can do this. I, I, I was sure I can do it, but like, maybe I can. Like, I'm not giving up. And I push through. And I'm, one particular run, I go up and like just kind of bail pretty hard off the top of these ramps. And like, man, that really hurt my side. I'm like, what is going on with my side? I didn't even know there was a place to get hurt on my side. And like, super sore today. I'm like, I'm looking up online. Like, what is that? I don't even know there was a muscle there. Like, it felt somebody like hit me in a baseball bat in the kidneys. And like, I was hugging a few of you guys today. And a few you squeezed my side a little bit. I'm like, oh, gosh. Like, that hurts so bad. Like, it just hurts. But like, it kind of reveals a little bit of something. All right, like, this is where I'm at. I'm a little weaker in this area than I like to believe. Because in my mind, I was fine. But you know what? I got some work to do. And I'm not done. I'm going to go practice on that ramp. And I'm going to learn to skate the ramp. Josh and I both are going to break into Roger's yard when no kids are around. And we can not embarrass ourselves. But like, it hurts. But like, you go through it. Like, okay, like, that's where I'm at. Sitting there, I didn't really know. Sitting there, I'm fine. Like, "Ah, I can do that. I'm just as good as these kids. Doing it hard. Hurts. Painful. I'm not done, but it can let you understand who you are when you go through something sort of difficult, when you feel some sort of, some sort of pain. And so Stephen, he he's, he's reveals who he is, that he's not just a good guy, but he's just that full of grace and love. And Jesus, that he extends forgiveness on these people, says, God, forgive them. This angry mob of people gnashing their teeth at him, yelling and throwing stones at him to to kill him? Forgive them. That is Jesus' love. That is Christian love. And unearned forgiveness is the essence of of Christian love. That's what Jesus is all about. They didn't deserve to be forgiven. You know what? I don't deserve to be forgiven. I hate to break it to you, but like neither do you. Jesus extends that, and, and Stephen is full of the Spirit. He's able to extend that because he knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He had the Holy Spirit. Real quick, I just want to, we'll probably touch on this in, in coming weeks, but Acts 8 picks up after this, and it says this. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he completely agreed with the killing. He's probably in the Sanhedrin at that time, because later on in Acts, it talks about him casting his vote against this movement. So he's probably there casting his vote, and he's hanging out. People are throwing their coats at him so they could really get loose and throw stones. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except the apostles were scattered, through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. So he's just infuriated, like this is it. Like Stephen just opened up the floodgates. We're going to wipe everybody out. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. 
And this, this, you can show this map real quick, Alex. We're going to come back to this probably another time. Basically, the church in this moment of persecution is born because the church is then scattered and it and it's moves out into the world. And they're able to preach. This is their preaching wherever they went. The apostles stayed back. They said, we've got to stay rooted here. But people are going out and they're running almost for their lives and for prison, but they're preaching the good news wherever they went in the midst of persecution. And I think when I think about sort of our story your story collectively, individually. We think about God's work in our lives, and sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes it can be painful. Sometimes it can be confusing. But if God is who he is, and we can sit back and like think in your situation even today or reflect back on the past. I'm, I'm, I did some reflecting this week. I turned 40 this week. Thought about some like you know past years, and, and ultimately I came away recently like I'm grateful that the former me did some of the things to get me here. Because we feel really blessed right now. I, I feel really grateful to be where I am. Former me did a lot of dumb things too that like, I wish he didn't do. But like ultimately, former me made some decisions that sort of opened up some stuff. And they weren't always, always easy. And we're kind of sowing into the, into the future. But God is working in my life along the way as he does now, as God is working in your life. And so if you could sit back and like, what is happening in my life? Why am I going through this? And then we say, well, it's because God wants to do something. If we, can, if we can get there, what is God doing now? What is he doing through me? Right. The church was persecuted so that it might spread. The church was lit up, antagonized, had to run for its life so that it might spread, so that the purposes of God would move on. That's a humbling place to be. I don't really want to be in that place. I don't, like, invite that. God, like, persecute me so that the gospel might go forward. Nobody wants, nobody, who prays that prayer? Any of you guys? No one really wants that. But if things are challenging, it's God's like, all right, maybe God is working me through this so that. Right? You were blank so that you might. Whatever that was sort of in your life or is today, I think we can kind of play with that phrase a little bit. I am here so that I might. Or maybe back in your past, no, God did that so that this. God has given me blank in this situation in my life so that I might do this. And that's a good question for us to ask where you're at and why. Because God, I believe, is moving. And for the early church, it would have been really crazy and weird. Like, wait, I think that things were good. We used to just eat together and have fun. And now, like, people are throwing us in jail? All right. God does that sometimes. He flips the script. Now we're moving on because he wanted the gospel to go forward. And so for you and I, I still think that mission holds true today so that the good news might go forward. What is God doing in your life? What has he given you? Where has he positioned you so that the gospel might be preached wherever you go. God brought me here so I might preach the gospel here. So we're going to wrap up. We'll have uh, Brittany and Noah and those guys come up with a song. and um, We'll close. And um, Yeah, let's pray. God, thanks for this uh, afternoon, for these people, this group. Thanks for using us, God. Um, God, I pray for revelation right now, Lord, just for, for all of us, God, that we are here, Lord, so that we might. And and that has to do with your gospel, and that has to do with kingdom. Lord, you've given us this so that we might do blank for you, God. I pray you open up our hearts and our minds and our dreams for some people who just put up some dreams, God. Maybe they went through something or going through something, but man, you have something planned on the other side of that. So help us to dream dreams, Lord. Have visions so that the gospel, so that the good news might be preached wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio was speaking. 
For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. That website address again is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you and yours.